0: As today we look at the study, I call it the ambassadors for Christ, ambassadors for Christ. How many of you here want to win? Just out of curiosity, you want to win. You're like, win what? (laughs) All right, let's make it more specific. How many of you here want to win the lost to Jesus? Wow, we want to do that, huh? I know if we are Christians, that should be one of our greatest desires. And this is going to help us a lot, I think, in a number of ways. To learn how to win the loss to Christ. You know, we're ambassadors of Jesus. Um, he's appointed us. He's anointed us. We're going to see that in our study today. And uh, it's so cool to know who you are. And then to go out and be who you are. Because look what it says here in verse 1. It says, After these things the Lord appointed 70 others also and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. Here we see the 70 are sent out. Uh, There are 70 ambassadors of Jesus Christ. It's kind of interesting. We see something similar in Luke chapter 9, but in Luke chapter 9, it was just the 12. And so in Luke chapter 9, it's the 12, and in Luke chapter uh, 10, it's the seventy. And we know that if you read the Bible, no numbers are random. Twelve is symbolic of leadership, government. And so there the leaders are leading the way. And now the rest of us, seven being the number of completion, seven times ten is seventy. The rest of us who are called and commissioned just Christians are now sent out to what? To go before the Lord. You know, as Jesus speaks to them, I believe he speaks to us. Because while the ministry and office of the 70 was only temporary, his instructions give us life principles which apply to us as Christians in every age. You know, make no mistake about it. Life is fun. I love life. Don't you love life in many ways? You know, there's a lot of cool things going on. But ultimately, our primary purpose is to win the lost to Jesus Christ. Those people out there in the highways and byways, valleys and alleys, those people who are suffering or in bondage to sin, who are headed for hell, it's our job and it's our responsibility to do whatever we can to be faithful where He's placed us in order to win them to the Lord, in order to pull them out of the fire. Because that's the type of God that we have. He's a God that's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He wants to save every person. And so we need to catch his vision and we need to have his passion. And in order to do that, though, we got to do things his way. And so that's why it's cool. And looking at Jesus sending out the 70 that we understand some principles about the whole missionary activity. First of all, a few things about the 70. Number one, they were appointed. Again, look what it says in verse 1. After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also. The Greek word for appointed, it means to lift up anything on high and exhibit it for all to behold, to proclaim anyone as elected to office, like a king or a general or a leader. And so the Lord appointed the 70. And the Lord has appointed you. The Lord has appointed me. You know, maybe you're here today and you're thinking, no, Manny, I'm not a pastor. Manny, I'm not ordained by God. No one ever laid hands on me like that. Who cares? You don't need that. That's the hands of men. The hands of God have already been laid upon you. You are appointed. You are anointed to go out in the highways and byways, wherever your mission field is, and to win the lost to Jesus Christ. You know, in one sense, we're all anointed and we're all appointed to the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The only variable is it's a different place and different people, but we're all called somewhere. Remember what Jesus said in John 15, 16? He said, you did not choose me, but I chose you. What for? To go forth and to bear fruit. See, the Lord chose you. The Lord chose you to go forth and to bear fruit. And that means it's a fruit of morality. It's a fruit of ministry. He wants us to have the character of Christ. And he wants us to have the compassion of Christ and to go out. And basically, you know, we all have different gifts. We all have different wirings of the way that made us, that God made us. And as we're faithful, then God will use our life as a light in the darkness to win people to him. So we need to know that. You need to know that. God has laid hands on you and appointed you and anointed you to go out and to preach the gospel. You know, sometimes it's words that we say, and I think we obviously we need to come to that place, but preface it with the life that you live. If you go out and you live a life of love, if you go out and you show people that you care, you have to prove to people that you're real. It's then that they'll want what you have. It's then that one day they'll come to you maybe and they'll ask you, what is it that's different about you? Why is it that you keep loving? Why is it that you keep forgiving? What is it about you? And then you'll be able to tell them, well, it's nothing about me. There's nothing good in me. The only good in me is Jesus. And then you're able to share with them. But see, we want to have the wisdom. I remember one guy said we have to have eyes to evangelize. And that's the way our life always must be. You've got to know, number one, that you're appointed. And when you go out, and especially when you go out evangelizing, here's a good principle. Number two, don't go alone. Because look what it says here in verse two. In um, verse one, after these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also and sent them to two by two. And so you might wonder, well, why did he send him two by two? If he would have sent him one by one, he could have probably covered more ground, right? But there's a principle here that I think we need to hold on to. There's a few reasons. Number one, if you go two by two, you know, you're not alone, then, you know, you probably won't get beat up. That's one thing, right? There's <laughs> something about numbers. There's something about having another guy. You know, you go down here and you do the, you know, you do the study in the, in the body or whatever, man. And so you take a friend with you, and usually that will give you an element of protection. So there's a protection element. There's also the accountability as well. When you go out there and you're sharing the Lord on the streets, it's, uh, it's good to have that accountability, even maybe to go do a house visit or a hospital visit. You, know, you go there, and let's just say you go, and then you know, some uh, you know, good-looking girl, she comes up and she says, Hey, you know what? I know you strike up a conversation. Next thing you know, she goes and she says, Yeah, you know, Manny made a move on me. And it's like, well, who can I tell? I mean, now it's her word against mine. And there's elements of accountability there that I think are good. Billy Graham said he would never have lunch with a woman alone. That accountability is important. So you need to have protection. You need accountability. Well, believe it or not, the, the most common reason that Bible teachers tell us that he went two by two is because of the credibility. Because in the biblical uh, rule and guidelines, I guess you could say, it was in the mouth of two or three witnesses that every word was established. So here these guys are going to Judea. They're going to Perea. They're going before the Lord. It's not just one guy. It's two guys. And what are they doing? They're both sharing this truth. And that added an element of credibility to them. So when you go out, You know, keep these things in mind. Number one, you're appointed by God. Number two, you know, try to take two. And then number three, remember that you're forerunners of Jesus. Verse one, after these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. We're forerunners. Not only are we sent by him, we are sent before him. Now, they were sent literally as forerunners. Jesus was going to go to these cities that he was coming to for the first time. We are forerunners going to every city that Jesus will come to the second time because Jesus is coming again. Amen? He's coming again. And it can happen any day now, any moment now. There has to be that understanding. And so... We go to the cities, and we were sent by Him. We're sent before Him, and when there's that understanding that we're forerunners, kind of like John the Baptist. John the Baptist was a forerunner, right? Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. If you're a guy, you're a John. If you're a girl, you're Joan the Baptist. It doesn't matter. Either way, we got to know what that we're forerunners to Jesus. You see, He tells us a few things about the the, the seventy. And then he tells us a few things for them to do. I guess you could say instructions. And so what does he do? In verse 2, look at what he says. He said to them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. You know, here's something to think about, you guys. When you're on the freeway and you're stuck in traffic, Um, rather than complaining, um, think about all the lost souls. When you see all these people, you know, I've gone to Disneyland before and I see, you know, I went on a bad day basically, man. And, you know, the whole time I'm like, man, I shouldn't have come today. I shouldn't have come today. I shouldn't, you know, you just got crowds and crowds of people. You know, we need to see things a little differently. You know what the Lord sees when he sees all those people? He sees a harvest. That's what he sees. He sees hurting souls ripe and ready for salvation. Somebody must go to them. Somebody must come to them. And that's the way we need to see life, you know. Um, We need to pray that the Lord would send out more laborers into his harvest. You know, usually when you see a lot of lost people, You know, our first tendency will be, Lord, I'm going to pray for converts. I'm going to pray for converts. Lord, save these people. And it's true. You know, we need to pray for converts. But that's not what Jesus tells us to pray for, huh? He says, pray for more laborers. And and that's really true. You know, even in a really good church like this, if I could puff you guys up for a second, man. You're a wonderful congregation. You really are. But you know what? It's probably maybe 5% that are really carrying the load, that are really laboring for the Lord with that passion, with that vitality, with that urgency. And so we need to pray for more laborers because what ends up happening, we know prayer changes things. Christians want to change, so prayer changes people. And changed people Will change people. You see, we got to pray for more laborers. Guys that are willing to get their hands dirty in the ministry. Guys that are willing to sweat and to make sacrifices. You know, and that's where we need to be. You know, there's something else interesting about that whole thing. He tells the laborers to pray for more laborers, he doesn't tell the spectators to pray for more laborers. He tells the laborers, they're already there. They're in the thick of the battle. They're already doing things. And in one sense, we all should be laborers. Laborers, praying for more laborers. More laborers in the children's ministry. More laborers in the you know, teen ministry. More laborers in the music ministry. In the sound ministry. You know, and, and just wherever you know God sends us. Missionaries that say, here am I, God send me. I just know that it's important for us. If we really want to win the Lord, you want to win? You want to win the lost? Well, we need to take heed to what Jesus said. Number one, you're appointed. Number two, you're not alone. Number three, we're forerunners to Jesus. Number four, we need to pray. E.M. Bounds said that prayer can do anything God can do. That's kind of interesting, huh? We see that God wants us to pray For more laborers. Warren Wiersby said, Please note that it's laborers, not spectators, who pray for more laborers. Too many Christians are praying for somebody else to do a job that they themselves are not willing to do. Interesting. Another important thing is there in verse 3 When you go out, he says, Go your way. Behold, I send you out as lambs among wolves. Okay, okay, in this corner, there's the lamb. In this corner, the wolf. Bell rings. Who wins? You know, the the wolf. It's going to be a painful, bloody death. Because that lamb has no offense. That lamb has no defense. And that's who we are, apart from the Lord. Some of us here, maybe, you know, my heart goes out to you. You are just being torn up by the enemy. You're getting thrashed. Why? Because we're not remembering that we have the spiritual opposition who is deceiving you. And your heart, and I say this not in a negative way, but sometimes Christians, your hearts are getting cold. Your hearts are getting hard. And it used to be real soft. And it used to be on fire. And, you know, the enemy's come in and he's done his thing. See, we're lambs. There's this wolf. He comes in. Sometimes it's a devouring lion. Usually as has a deceiving snake. And he'll give you excuse after excuse after excuse how to take you out. You no longer want to win. You no longer want to win the lost. We need to know the opposition that we face in life. You know, Jesus wanted them to know that as lambs have no defense or offense, neither do they, neither do we. See, we need to go out, you guys, with that understanding. The opposition is there. And we need to make sure we're not ignorant of his devices, lest he ravage us, lest he ruin us, lest he defeat us, lest he devour us. In one sense, it's kind of like this, don't forget the devil. I know it sounds kind of weird, you know, uh, but we just need to know that he's there. And we need to, kind of like we believe in God's existence, believe in the devil's existence as well. Don't doubt his existence and don't underestimate his persistence. One guy said this, the devil's best strategy is to persuade us that he doesn't exist. You know, and he's not just there, he's here. He wants to destroy us. The one guy said the devil wrestles with God and the field of battle is the human heart. He'll want to take us down if we're being used by God to lift people up. And so we see the Lord telling us these things. He says, you guys, you're appointed. I want you to go two by two. I want you to go before me. I want you to know that harvest is great. And so make sure you're a person who prays, man. And when you go out, understand that it's a spiritual battle. So don't go out with your own strength. You're just a lamb. You have no hope. You need the armor of God. There's wolves after you. And look in verse 4. He says, carry neither money bag nor knapsack nor Sandals. What does that mean? Well, it means you got to trust the Lord. You got to trust the Lord. A lot of times we won't go out you know for whatever reason, usually it's due to fears to be honest with you. You know we have the jet team and I'll just kind of talk a little bit about the jet team. Uh, they come in and uh, we pray and then we go out and we evangelize on the streets of Almani. But I would venture to say that probably fifty percent of the congregation doesn't come because they're you know busy you know washing their cars on that day, and fifty percent of the congregation doesn't come because they're afraid. Two things: busy and afraid. So you have six people that come and go and evangelize the streets. And it's like, well you're appointed, you're anointed. Not only that, you know, I don't want to put a sense of false guilt upon you. But maybe there you are at work, and, you know, your you're Lord saying, hey, tell this person about Jesus, man, and you don't want to talk. Why? Because you're afraid. You know, and it could be so many different things. You know what? I'm not going to be able to do that. Why? Because, you know what, you know, just afraid of things like, you know, finances and food and my feet. <laughs> the Lord says, that's what he says. You know, don't take a money bag because I'll provide for you. Don't take a knapsack. I'll give you some good food, maybe even in and out. And you don't even have to take extra sandals, man. I got you covered. What is he trying to teach them? He's trying to teach them to trust him. That's what he's trying to do. And so you go out by faith. You don't go out with all your eyes dotted and every single T crossed. You don't have to go out with it all figured out. You take a step of faith and you begin to win the loss to the Lord. You know, it's kind of cool when you do that, how your faith will grow. You know, we know where God guides, God provides. If it's his will, it's his bill. He wants to teach us this lesson from the get go. You know, one quote, really cool. It says this, the more we depend on God, the more dependable we find he is. The more we depend on God, the more dependable we find he is. And so there you are, you're Hudson Taylor, you're a missionary, you have no food, but you know God's called you to China, and so you keep ministering, you keep praying. And and what happens one day when he has no food, seriously, you guys, there's a mouse, it pushed out a yam out of the hole in the wall. Think about that, man, Hudson Taylor got fed by a mouse who gave him a yam. Okay, it probably wasn't cooked or anything, but, you know, it it was a yam, right? And talk about your faith growing stronger. But if he would have gone down and, you know, begged at the market corner, if he would have, you know, put it on his credit card, how is God going to flex his muscles for him? How is God going to show him that he is Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides? But when you depend on God, then he shows you how dependable he is. Remember Elijah? Elijah went uh, you know when there was no rain, God says, "Okay, I want you to go over here to this, you know, crazy place over here, the birds will feed you." Wow. And then once that river dried up, and he says, "Go over here, this widow in Zarephath, the widow will feed you." So the birds feeding him, the widows feeding him, he knows what? God's feeding him. And all I'm saying is this, you guys, don't try to, to figure out all the numbers always, man. I don't want to be a crazy Christian here, but I know many Christians who have chosen to serve mammon rather than God. And it becomes a matter of simple finances and not obedience. You see, the Lord's trying to teach us and teach them what? To trust Him. He really is. Look what he says in verse 4. Carry neither money bag nor knapsack nor sandals and greet no one along the road. And so I kind of like this. The Lord says it's okay to be rude sometimes. (laughs) No, that's not really what it means. Okay, the culture back then would be You know, their form of greeting was not like, hey, bro, what's up? It wasn't like that. Their form of greeting was, okay, let's have dinner. (laughs) That was their form of greeting. And so God said basically this, stay focused. Hello, wake up. People are going to hell. You got a job to do. Yeah, but Lord, you know, I want to kick it. (laughs) You know, and I, I like to kick it sometimes. But even when I kick it, it's part of the plan, I think. You know, and that's what happens, I think, when God gets a hold of your heart, that everything, you are consumed with the kingdom. Even when I kick it with my kids and I'm, you know, playing basketball and he's making nine out of ten free throws and I'm making one out of ten. And even though I, don't, I want to go away and say, listen, this is, game is not for me, you know, I love to be with him. Why? Because I want him to serve the Lord. And I want my daughter to serve the Lord. And sometimes we'll hang out and just, you know, talk and read a book together. But everything is ultimately about the kingdom, about the ministry. I have, we have no days off. You guys get a day off? No, there's no such thing as a day off, right? I mean, every once in a while we get privileged to go on a vacation, but that's only to recharge so we can come back and, what, and serve the Lord with full velocity and intensity. See, what happens is the Lord is saying, don't greet anyone along the way. He's just saying, man, because I don't want you to get sidetracked. I don't want you to get distracted. There is a certain urgency about your job and your place in the body of Christ. And so he says what? Stay focused. It kind of reminds me of that time when Nehemiah was building the walls around Jerusalem. If you guys remember the story there, Sambal and Tobiah said, come on, take a break. Come down, let's talk. You know, we got... Garnisada right here. we got tri-tip, man. We've got, I don't know, uh, jalapeno cheddar, you know, whatever. I don't know, man. Everything's jalapeno cheddar now, huh? And you're like, you know what? That sounds pretty good. But Nehemiah said, no, I have a great work to do. I can't stop. And that's got to be in our heart. See, that's what the Lord is saying to us who are appointed, us who are anointed to go and win the lost, Pray for more laborers, for people who have that understanding. You know, to stay focused, uh, verse 5 and 6, whatever house you enter, when you go for, say, peace to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest on it. If not, it will return to you. Now, now check that out for a second. Look what God wants to use your life to establish in the hearts of the people. He wants to use you as you are obedient to him in all these things the best that you can, you know. He wants to use your life to give them peace. Now, is that huge or what? Isn't it huge? First of all, peace with God. Secondly, the peace of God. That's what God will do as you are obedient, as you begin to just follow Him, as you continue in that calling and that commission. You know, I think that the lack of peace is probably one of the things that people struggle with the most. Not only uh, those who don't know the Lord, obviously, they have no hope for peace, but even those who do know the Lord. You know, my heart goes out to them, and maybe you're here today and you're a Christian and you're blood bought, bathed believer. But you don't have like that that peace that surpasses understanding. You know, because I think that when the enemy comes in, if you can, visualize a robber coming into your house. And, you know, what does he do? He goes for the things that are most valuable first, right? Maybe the jewelry, maybe your you know iMac, I don't know what it is, whatever you have, your flat screen. He goes into your house and he just, man, he targets the things that are most valuable. In one sense, when the enemy comes into your life, he targets that thing, he wants to rip you off from the peace that God provides for His children. You know? I mean, if you're a Christian, you know you're not perfect. If you're a Christian, if you put your hand in Jesus' hand, if you've trusted in Christ as your Lord and Savior, then man, you are clean. You are forgiven. I was telling the kids the other day, man, if I die today, if I die today, you know, I I know I'm going to heaven. I know I am. Not because I'm a good person. Not because, you know, he was a pastor of a church. That's got nothing to do with it. The only reason I have this assurance is because I have accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior. And there's no doubt in my mind that I am going to heaven when I die. You know, that peace, it's so important to have, the peace with God. And then when you have that true understanding, and we're going to see even again later, Jesus is going to speak about it. When you have that understanding, and then you just begin to learn more about the Lord, how much he loves you, how much he thinks about you, how he knows every single hair you have on Your head, He sees every tear that falls. He knows when you sit. He knows when you rise. He knows everything you're going through and He loves you. He's watching over your life and more and more that what ends up happening is you got this peace, this perfect peace because our mind is stayed on Him. Man, I just pray and I guess for me that's kind of a soft spot because I just really want you Christians to not only exalt God, but to enjoy God. To know that He is a wonderful Father who is watching over your life. Because see, we go, and what do we want to do? We want to give them peace. You know, some don't want it. It comes back to them. But the Lord says, this is all part of your mission. Another thing He says right there in verse 7, He says, And remain in the same house, eating and drinking such things as they give, For the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whatever city you enter and they receive you, eat such things as are set before you. Now, if you're a missionary, you go on a short-term missions trip, you know, this is real, really um, explicitly practical. You go and you're content where you go. You know, you go and what ends up happening is you have that contentment. To move from house to house might characterize them as those shopping for the most luxurious accommodations, whereas they should live simply and gratefully. Simply and gratefully. And if I could just say this, that's not just for the missionary in Cambodia. It's not just for the missionary in Africa. It's for the missionary in America. Don't go from house to house necessarily. You know, don't, you know, you know want more and more. That, that whole idea of contentment is an awesome thing. Epictetus, he said, Contentment consists not in great wealth, but in few wants. Socrates said, He is richest who is content with the least. So true, huh? Contentment is understanding that if I am not satisfied with what I have, I will never be satisfied with what I want. You know, you have to come to that place in your life right now where you're not going from house to house. It's not about, you know, bigger and better. It's about an idea. It's about a heart of contentment. See, these are all things that are important for us to establish because otherwise we will veer off track. Otherwise, we will not be used by God. We will not win. We will not win the lost to the Lord because we get caught up in the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and they choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. Now, does that mean if you're rich that you're in sin? No. I mean, some people, man, the Lord has blessed them in that way. They've got a lot of money, but that's not their passion. That's not their priority. That is not the epicenter of their life. Some people, they get a lot and they give a lot. It's a beautiful thing. But you have to make sure that your heart is in the right place. All these things, I think, are important for us. Look what he says there in verse 9. And heal the sick there. When you go out, you want to meet the physical need. You know, you go out, they just had a baby, bring them diapers. You You go out and then you find out they need food, bring them food, bring them shoes. Whatever it is, if they're sick, believe it or not, this is part of the ministry. Heal the sick. And you're like, well, how do I do that, Manny? Well, a lot of things. I know one of the things that we can do when people are sick, what do we do? We pray for them, right? The other day I went to go visit Maria Rios, and she had, uh, you know, breast cancer. And so she went through the whole process. Thank God she's doing good. She's doing really good. You know, and she is not only doing good physically, she's doing good emotionally. She's doing good spiritually. Why? She told me why. Because you, because we praying. That's a huge part of it. You know, when Jesus would heal people, even the Greek word said he would use, you know, he could use medical, uh, medicinal ways of healing. That was, you know, God can do it. Who is it? Is it the doctor? It's the Lord. It's the Lord who heals. Well, not only that, when you go and you pray over people, you have that understanding that God can heal them. And the more that I've been involved in the ministry now, because I I pretty much, man, right from day one, I got involved. I've seen how big a part of the ministry this is, because people are always sick, man. (laughs) And they come up to you and they ask for prayer. And, you know, I remember one time praying for a lady. She had to go in for surgery. Boom, man, God heals her. The doctor says, well, you're healed. You don't need to go in after all. Or one time, you know, praying for this guy over here. He has leukemia. Boom, he's healed. You know, praying for this lady over here, she's got a fever, boom, right there and then instantaneously the fever is gone. I mean, God can do that, right? To meet the physical need at times. Of course, it's not always his will, but we do our best, right? Commit the rest. But the primary need is what? There in verse 9, and this, and, and heal the sick there and say to them what? The kingdom of God has come near to you. That's what you want to share, hey, The kingdom of God has come near. Why? Because the king has come near. Jesus Christ. And you share that word with them. And what ends up happening, man, is people come to the Lord. Verse 10, Whatever city you enter and they do not receive you, go out into the streets and say, The very dust of your city which clings to us we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near You And so, you know, you go out and you're sharing with people, you invite them to church, you invite them to this event or whatever it is, you know, and they say, no, don't, you know, don't trip out on that. You know, the Lord says, as a matter of fact, he says, wipe off the very dust from your feet. Um, What it is, is a warning. I mean, you still tell them the Lord is coming near, but it's a warning. You know, when I look at this right here, I don't necessarily see the Lord as mad. I see the Lord as sad. That some people will not turn to him. But you warn them as a testimony against them. You don't warn them like a self-righteous Christian. You don't warn them without care and compassion and love. You know, you warn them though. And you tell them, listen, this is not what God wants. You got to be so careful, mijo. Because the holiness... And the judgment of God is real. You see? And that's the heart that we have to have when we want to win, when we want to win the loss to the Lord. You know, the Lord here, he warns some cities. Look what he says in verse 12. I say to you that it will be more tolerable in that day for Sodom than for that city. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it would be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And, and you, Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven, will be brought down to Hades. The Lord mentions three ancient cities. They were judged. You can read about it in Genesis 19 and Exodus 26 through I mean, Ezekiel 26 through 28, how they were judged. Um, You know, these cities, uh, some of them being wiped out so much, we can't find them now. We have no idea really where they're at. And the Lord, though, he 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 warns the present day cities, Chorazin, Bethsaida, Capernaum. He said, Woe woe to you, because, man, you guys have seen so much. You guys are so accountable. You know, and the same is true for us, you guys. We've seen so much. We've heard so much. And we really have to make sure, like the Lord said, to whom much is given, much more is required. We've heard the truth. We have the Bible. God has opened our hearts and our eyes. We really need to respond appropriately. And so he says in verse 16, He who hears you hears me, He rejects me, and he rejects me, rejects him who sent me. So ultimately, that's what ends up happening when they reject the ambassadors. And so he sent them out. He gave them instructions. They were probably gone um, for weeks. But then they come back in verse 17. They returned with joy, saying, Lord, it was so cool. Even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Okay, lightning comes down quick, huh? He said, It was so cool. I saw Satan fall fast. When you guys went out and you did your part, you were obedient to the call and commission. I saw Satan fall fast. Not ultimately being cast out of heaven. That's Revelation 12, but in the lives of these people, in the lives of the you know, people that you're making a difference in, right? And he said, as a matter of fact, behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. What a wonderful promise, huh? Any of you guys here have snakes, just out of curiosity? Nobody? Wow, I'm surprised. Scorpions? I know people who have pet snakes and scorpions, and uh, I would hesitate probably to pick them up. I'd hesitate to let them crawl all over me. Um, And there's probably an element of that in the protection that God would provide, even against those type of creatures that would sting you, because the safest place to be is in the perfect will of God. But uh, ultimately, I think we know that this is speaking of the demonic realm. That God has given us authority over them. Like we were talking earlier, there's wolves we are lambs. But when he gives us his authority, there's protection, right? It's a beautiful thing. But look what the Lord says in verse 20. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice. Why? Because your names are written in heaven. You know, and that should be really the source of, Of our joy. You guys, it's so cool when the Lord uses your life. It's so cool to be involved in the ministry. And I don't really necessarily think the Lord's taking out away from that. You know, John Corson said, when you're doing what the Lord is calling you to do, you'll always return with joy. And I think that's true. But ultimately, our joy must be rooted in the fact that our names are written in heaven. You know, and I love that, you guys. Did you guys know that your names are written in heaven? How many of you here have ever had your name in the newspaper? Just out of curiosity. So we got a couple of famous people right here, right? You know, um, maybe it was a crime committed. No, I'm just joking. (laughs) No. You know, it would be kind of weird, you know, I remember one time I had my name in the paper. It was kind of weird, a picture there, and it's weird. And, you know, some people are all into that kind of stuff, you know, getting famous, or maybe you're on eyewitness news or something. I don't know. You know, why wow, we're so excited about that. But but who cares? That will burn, right? I mean, isn't it so better to have a desire that your name would be written in heaven and that's exactly what happens. When you receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, right there and then, I don't know if it's God's signature, I don't know if it's your signature, I don't know if it's a combination of both, but right there and then, the Bible says over and over again that your names are written in heaven. They're written in the book. It says that in Exodus 32:32, 32, 32, Daniel 12one they They're written in the book of the living. Psalm sixty nine twenty eight, and so it kind of gets more detailed as time progresses. Written in the book, your name's written in the book, your name's written in the book of the living. Okay, later on in Philippians four three and Revelation twenty twelve, that book is called the Book of Life. And then the final detail about that book, because we learn more as history progresses, is it's called the Lamb's Book of Life. And that means that when you come to the Lamb, Jesus Christ, that you, your name, is written in his book. It's so cool. We're registered in heaven according to Hebrews 12.23. And just in case you're curious, are the saved, they're written in heaven. The unsaved, Jeremiah 17.13, says they're written on earth. So you want to try to wipe that one out and get your names registered in heaven. And so the Lord closes in verse 21, and it's kind of cool. He says, in that hour, Jesus rejoiced in the spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them to babes. That's not good looking girls. That's children, right? Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, and the Father is except the Son, and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. And then he turned to his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes which see the things you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings have desired to see what you see, and have not seen it, and to hear what you hear. And have not heard it. And real quick, I just want to share two things with you the premise to salvation and the privilege of salvation. The premise to salvation is what? You gotta humble yourself. You gotta humble yourself. It's not you know revealed to the to the wise and the intellectuals, to the overthinkers. Salvation, Jesus is revealed, the Father is revealed to the humble to the childlike. And that's what the Lord is trying to share with us. We've got to be so careful. Thomas Kempis said, Intelligence must follow faith, never precede it, and never destroy it. Intelligence must follow faith, never precede it, and never destroy it. And you come to the Lord, and it's a cool thing. You humble yourself, admitting that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. And God just says, Man, you're the one. There's that humility, the premise of salvation, and then there's the privilege of salvation. Imagine the Lord turning to you, He says privately looking to you and just saying, man, you are so blessed out of your socks. You don't realize it, huh? Let me tell you guys something. This is what he says basically in the end, that there's a lot of guys in the Old Testament that, that, that would have loved to see what you have seen. Because I think a lot of times we are here, you know, and... I think we think, well, man, it would have been so cool to live in the days of Moses, man. You know, to see the miracles in Egypt, the manna in the wilderness, the parting of the Red Sea, even the parting of the planet. You know, you read about that, Korah's rebellion, when the earth literally opened up and it swallowed Korah and his followers. How many of you would like to see that? I mean, you guys, you know how you are. You, oh, I'd love to see that. I'd Go back there and see that. Is it on YouTube or, you know, that's how we are, Right. We would love to see that. And the Lord says, no, man, they would trade places with you in the the blink of an eye. They would trade places with you in a split second. They would love to see the things that you have seen. And who have we seen, you guys? We have seen Jesus Christ. He has come and he has died for us on that cross. We have the whole Bible, the Old Testament, the New Testament. We have seen things that they would love to see. Not only has he died for us, the Bible says that right now he lives for us. And we see that as we read his word. And so we are blessed, we are privileged, and we are accountable. huh? We really are, you guys. And so my prayer today is that you and I would win, that we would win the loss to the Lord, just by falling in love with Him and being faithful wherever He has us. He loves you. I know some of you here today are right on with the Lord and you're you're not perfect, but you're proper. And I thank God and God gets all the glory. But there might be some of you here today who, you know, you're, you're trying to run away. You're trying to run away or, you know, your heart wants to run away or the devil's trying to pull you away. The world is trying to pull you away. And there's just like lies that say, you know what? Don't don't go full bore, man. Don't go full bore. <laughs> let me tell you something, man. If you're a child of God, you belong to Him. And I want you to know something, that God loves you so much that He won't let you go, man. He's in a fight for you. But you have to make that decision. And so with a God that will never let go, with a God with that type of love for you, right here, right now, no matter what you've done, my prayer is that we would respond to Him. Just come to Him as you are. I'm not telling you you got to go erase your tattoos. God's not like that. Man. I'm not telling you that you got to go and you know, live a sinless life for seven days and then you can come. I'm saying just come as you are, with all the things that you have in your heart, and He will bless your life because that's the God that we serve. Father, we thank you so much. You're teaching us how to win the lost, and you, you kind of tell us all these different things because you love the lost so much. You love us so much. And I thank you that that's who you are. So, Lord, I pray we would be like you I pray that we would first of all receive your love for us. Let it sink into us. And then we would go out and share your love with others. We love you so much, Lord. We thank you so much, Lord. And and Lord, I just pray, Lord, for all the Christians here. You continue to work in their life. And for everyone here, Father, maybe some that don't know you, Lord, that today would be a day of commitment, of recommitment, Lord, in every single heart. You know, they say, Lord, that on that day, uh, in that war, 27,500 soldiers died in the American Revolution, and they set us free politically, but there was that day when Jesus Christ died. The one died and shed his blood on Calvary to set us free spiritually. And so, Lord, today we rejoice in that love who brought us here today, in that love. You said, I'll never let you go. I love you, and I'm going to keep fighting for you. Help us, Lord, to respond to your love. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you're here today and you want to come back to the Lord or you want to you know, commit your life to Christ, you want to turn from your sins and trust in Him, man, I just pray that you would do that right now in your heart, After we sing this song, though, you come up. We would love to pray with you or anyone here who's going through hard times. And so let's all stand and let's worship the Lord.